0: morning. I was going to have everyone that was in a green t-shirt stand up. Hey, Cheyenne. Cheyenne's running all the video stuff back here, so she can't really stand up. She's doing, but Cheyenne's in a green t-shirt. There's a reason why Cheyenne's in a green t-shirt. Hey, you're going to have to step out so everybody can see your green t-shirt. It's the only one in the room right now. Everybody turn around and look at Cheyenne. See her green t-shirt? She earned that green t-shirt. There's others who are in this room who helped out who don't have a green t-shirt on right now, but there's others who earned green t-shirts too, and that's uh, because they, uh, you know, helped out with VBS all week long, and it was a really good week. It was a great week. So all of you who helped out, thanks appreciate it um, it was It was awesome. I know that um, again, like I said last week, anytime that we honor uh, people who volunteer there 's always the danger that we'll uh, not be honoring other people who volunteer for things. but this is a special week again with VBS. Thanks for all that you 've done, and uh, we really appreciate it. I had great conversations with families who were new to us who uh, you know this is the first time they 've had a connection to the church, bringing their kids over and I always make it a point to float around and try to interact with families who are new, and it's always a great connection point. And um, so, uh, yeah, if you, the, I, no complaints about your singing in first service, but if you stick around for a few minutes after Sunday school, you will find a, le- a volume that doesn't compare to the hymn singing. Um, And it probably doesn't compare to the praise music singing either. This is a volume that comes from children who are uninhibited. So if you do come, those of you who wear hearing aids, turn them down. Those of you who don't need them, put the earplugs in, you know, but you'll enjoy it. I I, There was a couple times throughout the week where I would be back in the office doing some work or talking to some people, and they'd start a song in here. And I'd realize, oh, it's one of the times where the kids are singing, and I'd come running out just so that I could see the kids singing. I love also when they put on, specifically when they put on a worship song, not just a, those, all the songs are really uh uh, educate them in the scriptures. But then when they put on a worship song, and you can just watch kids' hearts get connected to God, whew, man, that's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, we are currently in our Freedom Series, Free, Life as It's Meant to Be. Um, life as It's Meant to Be. And uh, that's uh, this week what we're talking about. You know, each week we talk about the, uh, God breaking off bondage and uh, bondage that the enemy, the lies that the enemy has spoken to us that slow our lives down from the freedom of Christ, like that hot air balloon that's being held down by the weights and can't float freely with the, the movement of God because those are lies that, that hinder us. And this week, the, the lie that we're talking about, the bondage we're talking about, is from hurry and overextension, from being overextended and, and hurried. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and how to be free from that. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for uh, all that you've done this week. Each, almost every day, another story is shared with us about people who are being set free of stuff right now. And that is, that is, uh, there's, only, there's only one place where credit's due for that. You know, th- that's the movement of your spirit illuminating the word of God and and breaking off lies and speaking truth that sets people free. And so we thank you for that, God. We thank you that life by life, each of us, God, are walking uh, more fully and more closely with you, and you're kind of moving across our church in a special way right now. I thank you, again, uh, we've uh, thanked publicly those who volunteered this week. but um, But, God, we want to thank you for what it is that you've done this week at VBS. And we know that at second service, there's going to be a bunch of people in green shirts and uh, shorts and flip flops. And there's going to be uh, kids running around and yelling. And and, uh, it won't look like a normal Sunday. But what it will look like is the fact that you've moved. And it will look like the fact that there's been kids who know that they're loved. And there will be kids who have heard the word of God. And for all of that, God, we just thank you and praise you. I ask that you would speak through uh, the remainder of our time here and that it wouldn't be my words, it would be your words. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So we have this problem all the time. People are always coming to us, asking us, I have so much spare time and I don't know what to do with it. What do you think I should do? And at that point, if you believe me, I will sell you real estate in Florida. Um. No, you know, uh, of course, one of the common problems all across our, our society right now is the fact that it doesn't seem like we have enough time to fit all the things that we have going on. One of my, uh, one of the preachers who I listen to on a regular basis is a man named John Ortberg at, uh, Menlo Park Church. And so I listen to his teaching usually once a week, uh, and, uh, if you ever want to If you're ever looking for uh, preachers to listen to, I would highly recommend him. He's not a a, a real dynamic or charismatic personality, um, but he drinks from deep wells, so to speak. And uh, one one time he used to be a a pastor at a church in Chicago, a a fast-growing megachurch, one of the most well-known megachurches in the United States. And while he was a pastor there, he asked his mentor, who was Dallas Willard, who's written a a bunch of books um, uh, about knowing God. And he asked him, he told him, he was telling him all about his life. And he said, Dallas, what do you think I should do to deepen my faith, to go deeper in my walk with Jesus? And Dallas just sat there for a second, thought about it, and then responded by saying, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. What's hurry? Hurry is a lot different than being busy. Being busy means that we have a lot going on. Hurry is when we're kind of like stressed out and trying to fit everything in and worried and running around. Years later, uh, John reflected on that, and this is in uh, something I read of his. This is his reflection of it. He said, for most of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. That's not going to be the danger. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We'll just skim through our lives instead of actually living them. Have you ever felt that? I've felt that for sure. Where there's days where I'm just kind of flying through, doing what needs to get done or what I think needs to get done and trying to keep up and get it and kind of skimming through life. And if I got to the end of the day and someone asked me, where did you meet God today? What were your experiences with the Lord? I might be like, oh, uh, let me go back and think about my life and think of where God might have been. But I might have missed him in that moment, you know, because it's very easy to be kind of flying through life and, and not missing it. For, for many of us, it, it can seem sometimes like there's not actually enough time. Like maybe God messed up when he only made it 24-7 and, and 52 weeks, 365 days in a year and so many days here on, on earth, you know? And it seems like there, there's far too much to fit into that time. And did God, the designer of it all, did he not get the proportions right? Was the ratio off? Why, does, why is this not working, you know? And, of course, God designed things perfectly. He designed that who we are, And what it is that we're supposed to accomplish is to fit perfectly with when the sun goes up and when the sun goes down, when the earth rotates and when it moves around the sun. All of those things that he put in place were made to function perfectly with the tasks that he gave us to accomplish and the relationships that he called us to nurture. It was all supposed to work together. As a matter of fact, for six days, he put everything together in the universe. And on the end of that sixth day, what he did is he took his crown jewel, us, and he put us in there, having set everything up just perfect for us. And then he placed us on it and he said, look at how I made everything to fit perfectly for you. That's the way it was supposed to work. Supposed to. But of course, things got a little messed up. And we know that things got messed up. And what's amazing is, is the tension between what it is that we feel we need to accomplish and who we need to relate to versus the time that's allotted to us. That tension that we feel all the time is a direct result of the curse, of course, of the fall when we stepped out of God's design. Now, if you think about the curse, the curse affected two people in general. You know, there was, there was only two people, but it affected both of them and each of them differently. First, there was this curse that, that Eve had. And what was her curse? There was two things in particular. Anybody think of them? Okay, so pain during childbirth and her relationship to Adam. Those two things were going to be very difficult. In other words, her relationship with her kids and her relationship with her husband were going to be difficult. And in other words, the family relationships and how she related to people were going to get tough. And where it was supposed to function smoothly and work well, now all of a sudden it was going to hurt. And those of you who know, uh, who have had kids, you know about the physical pain of giving birth. But then if you had a kid who was a colicky baby, you also knew about the torture, ongoing torture, night in and night out of staying up with that child. You know maybe if your child is older about the torture of watching them make the decisions that they did or watching how they're interfacing with their siblings and being on your knees begging God to do something different. And you felt this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The relationships aren't supposed to work this way. Well, that's a result of the curse. And so what was supposed to fit in this amount of time doesn't seem to fit right anymore because things got distorted Not the least of which is I got distorted and my mind got distorted. The second person who really got affected by the curse, of course, was Adam. And what was his curse? Working. Working. That's it. Working. The soil wasn't going to produce its crops easy. There was going to be weeds and it was going to be by the sweat of your brow. And so work doesn't come easy. And where it used to be that it should be a joy to go and name the animals and rule over the earth was his job description, you know, be a gardener and rule over the earth and be the caretaker of the garden and it should just move with how creation was designed. Instead, now it seems like everything's off a little bit. And when it should be seamless and things just don't fit right, so you have to muscle it in and try to make stuff fit that doesn't fit. And then it causes tension in the relationships. And then there's the relationship problem in the work. Problem. Problem and how they interface. And there's the tension about you can never satisfy your boss because there's never enough time to get done what needs to get done. But then I can never satisfy my wife and my family because there's never enough time to relate the way I need to. And the tension between the family relationships and between work are so, uh, they just don't fit right. And in the middle of that, we find ourselves trying to make it work. And we get stressed out of our mind because we say, we only have 24 hours in a day, and I'm trying to get it all to fit in there. And it feels like it doesn't fit, but the only reason it doesn't fit is because of the fall of mankind. And what ends up happening, even more than just the curse on the ground or the pain in childbirth, is that we become insecure people, ashamed, hiding from God behind bushes, hiding from each other and accusing each other, competing with each other. And so two things happen in our own minds that really mess this up even more. I get insecure, so I try to overcompensate, which means I'm doing things that I shouldn't necessarily be doing or doing more than I should be doing in order to feel better about myself. Or I feel bad, so I'm self-medicating and I'm wasting time with things I shouldn't be wasting my time with. And in the process, I lose more time and I gain more tasks. And in the end, there's that tension of I'm overextended and there isn't enough time. So now I'm hurried. And because of that, the most important things in life can often be missed. There's good news. The gospel. It's good news. Great news. Romans 8 addresses this problem just like this. Romans 8 19 to 21. Why don't you turn there? This is going to be in... I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. I think on the screen you're going to have it in the NIV. Okay? So whichever scripture you have, you can follow along. It says, For the creation that's the earth, the universe, all that God made, is waiting. It waits right now. It's anticipating. It's waiting with eager longing. Picture the earth, the ground, sitting there waiting. Picture a lion or an ant or a cardinal sitting there waiting, looking. Picture the ocean just waiting. Longing for the revealing of the sun's of God. What's that about? Verse twenty. For creation was subjected to futility. What's futility? Yeah, kind of hopelessness, like ah, it's futile. It's, it's, it's and so creation it's just becomes it's it's waste, it's hopeless, all of that. It doesn't feel like it's going the right direction, things are going bad. But then it says, not willingly, but because of him Who subjected it? Where did the curse come from? Who declared the curse? No, who declared the curse? Who said there would be a curse? God. Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Who was called to rule over the earth? Adam. So who had authority over the earth? Adam, okay? Adam and Eve had authority over the earth, but instead of trusting God, the creator of the earth, and and submitting to it and having things work well, instead they rejected God and things went the other way. And when we separated ourselves from God and tried to run our own show, things didn't work anymore. And so what happened was, is creation now, it's not just our end that feels the tension, our earth feels the tension. And I don't mean it like Mother Earth has emotions or anything, but we can watch how the earth doesn't work right when humans don't work right. It just doesn't work, you know? All sorts of things happen all over the place, and all the struggle that we have on earth, we don't think that natural disasters are here because that's the way God intended things to be in the first place, do we? Earth doesn't fit right when humans don't fit right. And so all these things, you know, there's all this struggle. And in general, everything doesn't work the way it's supposed to. But it says creation itself will be set free in in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom, like our series, of the glory of the children of God. What is that saying? What it's saying is, is that we don't have to live hurried. That we don't have to live like God gave us this time and then stepped away from it and all our world turned into chaos and we have a million things that we have to do and now our job is to figure out how to get those millions of things to fit into a time frame that wasn't designed for those millions of things. It doesn't have to be that way. See, what it's saying is that we can return to being children of God. That we can be seamlessly connected with the designer of the universe, and that we can function in such a way that things in general start to work better and that creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For those who believe that they are redeemed and they are close to God again and they live in faith and dependence, in other words, what ends up happening is is their tasks and what they think needs to happen, it all changes. And instead of overcompensating for their sin or instead of being lazy when they're supposed to be strong, instead we submit to God and we begin to move Back in rhythm the way God told us to because we're back in relationship with God. Our lives actually have the ability to function smoothly. Um, in Galatians 5 1, it's, we're told that we have, for the sake of freedom, Christ has set us free. This is one of our leading verses for the, for the series. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm, he tells us, to hold on and to be strong and to not allow ourselves, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery means that we're held bondage by something. And this is the thing about time. Most of the time when people are hurried, they talk about time in terms of bondage, don't they? Like It's like, well, I only have 24 hours or you only have so many, so much time in life, so time dictates what it is that I'm supposed to do. Well, you better be able to, I I remember hearing, I've heard a number of songs, but I remember one song in particular, live like today is your last day. And so the, the, the amount of time that I have should dictate the intensity and the priorities of my life. That's not true. Time doesn't determine how I should live my life. God determines how I should live my life. This is what happened in our mind. When we decided to take control over creation instead of submitting to God, what ended up happening is is we realized, all right, i got to figure this out now, and this is the amount of time I have. My job is to manage that time well. And so one of my primary jobs that I felt I was supposed to do was manage that time, to micromanage my time, to make sure I'm very efficient to get done everything I need. That's never the way it was supposed to be. God is in control of time. My priorities and my tasks come from God. The pace of my life comes from following God. It doesn't come from me learning to be efficient and how to squeeze and manipulate time in order to get things done. That puts time in control instead of putting God in control. That means I become a slave to time, that I have to do this now because there's only this much time. And if I don't do it, it won't get done. And what will happen? And I'm worried and I'm stressed. And that's when I'm a slave to time. And what we're told is, don't be held slave anymore. Be free. You're a child of God. Listen to Him. Sit with Him. Rest with Him. Move with Him. He will lead you into what needs to be done. And He'll tell you when to pull the reins and to hold back. Your priority is not to manage your time. And your taskmaster, taskmaster is not the son telling you when to do what. God, God is our guide and he is our leader. Now, we do have a limited amount of time in every day. We know that. And we all have the same amount. We have a limited amount of time in our lives and none of us know how much time that is. When we were in El Salvador, uh, there's really interesting thing happened. Jen and I and the Flores were in El Salvador a few weeks ago. And we went to the hills um, at this place called Cabanas where they did these feeding programs. And these people, they would only eat every other day. Many of them would only eat uh, every other day, one meal every other day. Um, And it was just very, very impoverished people who didn't have food. And so you would watch these people who don't have much, and you'd walk up to their village, and you'd see them sitting out front. Uh, They had these little huts, and you'd see them sitting out front like on a rock, just sitting there, not doing anything. And I remember uh, one person asked, why aren't they, like, working or something? You know, why aren't they plowing a field or doing something? And uh, the missionary said, well, because if they work, they need to eat because they're going to expend energy. And it's much harder for them to find food than it is for them to rest. Like when they, when they balance the checkbook, so to speak, the easiest way to make ends meet is by not expending energy. So they need less food. What we call that is the poverty spirit, a spirit of poverty, a mentality of poverty. You know, we were meant to eat more than one meal every two days. But when you don't have enough food, then maybe the wisest thing seems to be to not work, to not do anything because I don't have any food. And maybe that's all you can do when you don't have food. In America, that's not our problem, is it? In America, we go to the gym and see how many calories we can burn because we have so much food, we gotta figure out how to get rid of the calories. You know? How to get rid of the energy. I love on the, on the nutritional information on the back of, of a box. When you're in England, um, it doesn't say carbohydrates, it says energy. Or it doesn't say calories, it says energy. Have you ever seen that? That uh, European boxes will say energy. And I, I like that because it's like, that's how much energy I have right there from eating this thing. How much energy am I going to spend? If I'm going to spend more energy than I'm going to eat, then I'm going to lose weight. If I'm going to eat more energy than I'm going to spend, then I'm going to gain weight. And it's a real simple equation, right? And in El Salvador, they're like, I'm just not going to spend any energy because I don't have any to eat. And in America, we're like, we got to spend extra energy because we have too much. And we see that the tension of not being able to fit appropriately with the way things are supposed to work. And this is how we deal with time all the time, is that we tend to have a poverty spirit in America around time, that we believe we don't have enough time, we are impoverished, there isn't enough And so we get scared and we try to squeeze what we will spend time on. We won't spend enough time appropriately on the things that we should, just like an El Salvadorian person who's sitting there not doing anything because they're afraid of spending the energy. So we are afraid of spending time with things that we really should spend time on because we're afraid that we won't have enough time for all the other things that maybe we want to do. Or that we feel like we need to do. In reality, our decisions shouldn't be based on how much time we have. Our decisions should be based on what God is calling us to. On Tuesday, Tuesday Tuesdays are Jen's day off. And this past Tuesday, uh, I got up in the morning and I was getting ready to head off and uh, go do what I had to do throughout the day. And I was asking Jen what she was going to be doing. And she had a whole list of things that needed to be done, you know. And uh, so she was like, i got to go to the grocery store, and i got to go shopping and do this. And there's some things she had to plan. She had just gotten a new computer that needed to be set up for work because uh, she works from home. And there's all these different things. She had some ideas of things she wanted to do with the kids. Well, I came home at lunchtime, and I, I swung in the house, and I said, Hey, so what have you been up to all morning? And she said, I didn't get to anything that I was going to do. And I was like, okay, what did you do? And she said, I had some really good time with the Lord this morning. And I, you know, there's a few different ways to respond to that moment, isn't there? Depending on your frame of mind and everything. But I was just so excited. I was like, well, tell me about your time with the Lord, you know? And she was talking about what the Lord was leading her into that morning. And and she's like, sorry, I didn't get any of that stuff done. And I just started laughing. You know, I'm like, I'm sure God will provide, you know? It's going to be okay. And I was just really blessed by watching her make a decision that says, everything else can wait. This is what God called me into. And we need to be able to have the freedom in our lives to not be dictated by our tasks and by our what appears to be the amount of time that we have. Instead, our lives need to be led by what God is calling us to. And there is an absolute bondage in our lives that entraps us and holds us when we are setting the agenda for our lives based on the things that we think we need to do and the time that we think we have. But if we are children of the living God, we realize that time is in His hands. And that we have been brought into a family where just like God has an eternal bank account, God has eternal time. And we've been brought into eternal life. And that's different than everlasting life. Everlasting life means I'll never die. It just keeps going. But eternal life means timeless. It means I've been brought into something that is not dictated by time, that is not constrained or restrained by time. Time should not be the factor in my priorities. The leading of God should be the factor in my priorities. A life of rest that God calls us to is not stepping back from work. It doesn't mean don't be busy, don't get stuff done. Rest means this, moving at the same pace as God. When God's working, I'm working. When God's sleeping, Not that he really sleeps, but when he's calling me to sleep, I sleep. You know, and I'm moving in pace, in rhythm with God. This is why Jesus says to us, Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my burden's light and my yoke is easy, and you will find rest for your souls. It doesn't mean that we're never supposed to do stuff for Jesus. Of course not. He calls us to the Great Commission. He calls us to all sorts of things. But we're never to step outside of a place of rest which means we are not in control of our tasks and we are not in control of our time. We have one primary responsibility. It's very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple to follow Jesus. Buddhism is, uh, teaches us when it comes to finding a life of rest and peace is that there's the yin and the yang and that you need to find balance through spiritual practices. You know, when you meditate and you get to that place of peace and you kind of get your zen and you can be, you know, oh, and I'm at my place of peace. But circumstances can really rock my boat, you know. Humanism in America is a much bigger deal where we believe that humans are the center of the universe and we're in control of our own lives. And in humanism, what we believe is those who are most efficient are able to balance all the things of life. And so our value of time is not patience. Our value of time is efficacy, efficiency. Those who can manage a calendar and a task list very well are the ones who can be successful and get ahead and do things right. It's not what Christianity teaches. Christian faith is simple. It's about one thing. It's about Jesus. Jesus changed the world forever was more efficient, more effective, more powerful, more profound than anyone who's touched our planet. And most of the time, Jesus didn't run, he walked. And oftentimes, Jesus withdrew to lonely places to pray right in the middle of what seemed like success. He would just stop, pull the plug, go to the mountains and pray. Right when you're saying like, make hay while the sun's shining, Jesus. Nope, I'm withdrawing and praying because I might make the wrong step and I feel a little disconnected from my father right now. It's time to get back and reconnect and ask him what the next step is. People are changing and they're getting all excited. I got to go talk to dad about this and see what he wants to do next. And that's how Jesus handled it. The thing is, is that Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. And the Christian faith isn't working hard just to be like Jesus. It's not just taking Jesus' principles and trying to apply them to our lives. The Christian life is saying, I no longer live and Jesus lives within me. See, Jesus is still alive and he still wants to live that way. He just wants to live that way inside of me. And what I'm supposed to do with my life is let go of what my tasks are and let go of what my calendar is. And I'm supposed to learn to live in connection and submission to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, live within me, guide my life, move my life, and you take over. There's this story that people often refer to in this moment in the Scriptures, and we're going to end with with this passage of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 10, and it's the story of Mary and Martha. There's two stories back-to-back that are very, very important when it comes to understanding a life that's free from hurry and overextension. And they're right back to back. One of them is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the other is Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary, whatever you want to say. So first we're going to look at uh, Martha and Mary here for a second. And, uh, and we're actually going to read that one together. And then we're not going to read Good Samaritan, but I'm just going to make a few points from it. So I'm going to have you stand with me in honor of God's word toward the end of our sermon here. as uh, this, this is our text, okay? Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Whose house was it? I guess Martha's is hers. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Oftentimes I've heard this passage talked about. And the application is that relationships are more important than tasks. And that being is more important than doing. And those are applications. I, I, I'm not quite so sure about all that. I mean, obviously tasks are very important and relationships are very important. And I don't think this is a passage just about wisdom and balance. This is actually a passage about what's right and wrong. And I don't think it was wrong for Martha to be serving at all. What was wrong was that there was much serving. She was distracted by much serving. What does that mean? Overextension. It means Jesus was coming into her house, and I expect that Martha wanted things to be so good for Jesus so that it would reflect well on her. That's not the picture of a child of God who already knows that they're loved. That's a picture of someone who's functioning more in an orphan mentality that's trying to prove themselves to others. And when that happens, we tend to overextend ourselves and get distracted by all the much serving. Jesus didn't need much. Mary didn't need much. You know, some bread, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and we would have been okay, but she's running around in a tizzy trying to, be impressive to Jesus and make sure that everything's great and running around. And then finally, you can tell there's tension because she can see Mary's actually there connecting with Jesus. And it feels like they're getting close. And here she is trying to impress Jesus, but Jesus isn't seeing her. And eventually she just explodes and she's like, well, how come you're not telling her to help me? It'd be nice if I could just sit there at your feet, but somebody's got to get all this stuff done. And she's not helping me out. Why aren't you telling her to help me so that I could have some time at your feet? And this is what I anticipate Jesus does. Really, Martha? That's what this is about? Because I don't think that's what this is about. You didn't ask for Mary's help. You're just mad because she's sitting here. It's not a bad thing to be serving. It is a bad thing if our serving takes us away from the presence of Jesus. There was a good way for Martha to serve that day, but still be connected to Christ. And submitted to God and feeling the joy of the moment. It's not that Martha had to throw everything up and stop doing everything and sit at Jesus' feet. Maybe her job was to serve, but there was a way to do it in connection with Jesus. An example of someone who did this right is in the story right before it, The Good Samaritan. And we won't take the time to read it, but this is what happens. You know how it works. There's that Jewish man going from Jericho to Jerusalem, and that's a rough terrain. I've been there, and that's rough terrain, and up in these mountains and crags, there's the place for the thieves to hide, and they got a hold of him, beat him up real bad, took his stuff, and he's laying on the side of the road, and first the priest comes by. But the priest is going to the temple, and he has many, many important things to do. And so he goes to the other side of the road. He doesn't have time for that. There's too little time and too many important tasks. And so he walks to the other side of the road. Likewise, the Levite is coming, and he's probably headed to the temple too, and he has a boss. And his boss isn't going to understand why he stopped on the side of the road. So I'm not going to stop and do that. i got to go. Man, I feel really bad for that guy. He's probably not going to make it anyway. I'm just going to keep going. And he keeps going. And then you know how it works that the Samaritan man comes by, the one who would have been hated, the one who was completely disconnected, the one who was not even on the same page, but his heart is able to feel the moment. His mind is able to perceive what's actually happening because he's staying connected. And there's something in that moment that reflects the image of God inside of him where he knows what's supposed to happen here and he's able to stop whatever it is that he has going on and he's able to perceive the situation and what really needs to be done and he pushes aside his agenda and he even pushes aside all the awkwardness of the social dynamics and he pushes aside everything else and he engages in the moment. Do you think that that Samaritan person experienced the presence of God In that moment. I bet you that worship time at the temple for that priest wasn't that good that day. Because there was a worship time that had been waiting for him on a road to Jerusalem. And he missed it. And once he got to the temple, he was probably dry and empty and feeling bad. But this Samaritan person, you know, he goes over and he gives to this person of his resources. And he takes the time to care for him. That's what Martha should have been doing. She can serve, but it's got to be with God, moving with God, not for her own sake, but to stay connected to God. But Martha was anxious about many things. So pull out your takeaway sheet. You have it in your bulletin this week's takeaways. First of all, God wants to to set us free for the deeper life. Not the life that skims the surface, but he wants us to, to get deep down into the way life was meant to be, interfacing with God's creation the way we were called to, moving deeply the way that he called us to move, which means that he wants to break off that hurry and overextension. What's the lie underneath this form of bondage that we get caught in? That lie is this. That success is found in squeezing our time to accomplish more. That my life will be better if I can compress the time and skim a little bit, cut a corner on what it is that God's calling me to do in order to get more packed in there. Because it'll be more fun if I have a little extra time to do this, or I'll feel better about myself if I accomplish more of this. Or I'll be able to have more security for my family if I spend this overtime doing this. Or whatever it is that's my temptation to compress the time and squeeze the time in order to try to jam more stuff into it, then I feel like I'll be successful. That's the lie. And Satan gets us caught in that lie all the time. What's the truth that sets us free, that breaks this form of bondage? Oh, by the way, the scripture references there, you see them. Uh, Psalm 90, Matthew 6, and Acts 5. Write them down as ones to go and meditate on later. The truth that breaks this form of bondage is that time and success are in God's hands and both are found by following Him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow. They will walk and not... Man, if you could run and not get tired, that'd be awesome. And that's what he's saying. He said, if, if you run when I'm telling you to run, you're not going to get tired because I'm going to carry you. But then you've got to walk when I'm telling you to walk. And then you won't faint from exhaustion or from stress. You'll have peace when you're walking. You've got to move with me. You've got to move with me. John 6, Matthew 14, and Second Corinthians 4. You can go back and, and read them throughout the week and study that. If I were set free by this truth, how would my life look different? Well, first of all, rest wouldn't be the time that I'm not working. Rest would be my state of being. Because rest is found in Christ. And I shouldn't disconnect with Christ when I'm in the middle of my task. I should be very closely connected to Christ. So the way this would look different is I would look more like the Good Samaritan instead of like Martha in that moment, where no matter what's going on in my life, I'd be, I'd have a state of rest instead of that being just the time when I once a year take vacation to blow off all the steam of trying to carry it all on my shoulders all year. Secondly, I would be, I would be productive and I would be busy, but I wouldn't be rushed. Jesus was busy. He had a lot going on. He had a lot on his plate, but he wasn't rushed. It's okay to have a ton going on as long as we're dependent and submitted to God and moving at pace with him and not stressing because we feel we have to control it all. There would often be moments of withdrawal for prayer, just like Jesus. If I believed that he's the one who sets my agenda and he's the holder of time, then it's okay in a moment to just withdraw and say, I need to go connect with God right now because I'm going to be more effective if I do. How many of you have experienced this before where you've taken moments in your life to kind of step back when you had a tongue going on and then you found that your frame of mind shifted and it made you much more effective at what you were going to do because you got in the right frame of mind. I don't know how many times I've been stressed because I have a sermon coming up and I don't have enough time to get it all figured out. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I got to find the gem. What will feed people right now? What will make me not look like a moron on Sunday morning when I go to teach or whatever and I'm trying to find what this passage says. And then God just calls me and say, Tim, chill out. Like, come hang out with me. And I'll put on a worship song and I'll sit there and connect with the Lord. And instead of studying a passage that's for the sermon, I'll just flip over and study something else. Next thing I know, (laughs) about an hour later, the sermon's prepared. Because I got into a place where I could feel God and, and be close to God and have God's mind working in me. You know what I mean? And that's what we'd be able to withdraw, which means this too. I'd be slow and quiet enough to sense God's momentary lead. I'd be at rest enough to know when God's leading me to something. Which means I would also not be afraid to engage those leadings in fear that I won't have time for other things that I thought I needed to do. You know that when you have that thing where God's tugging, like come pray or go care for that person, but you're like, I don't think I have the time. And then it turns out many of the things that I thought I had to do were like Martha. I was troubled about many things and much serving. Let it go. So here's the challenge of the week. You need to take one day. Each of us are going to take one day. This isn't every day. This is one day. And it's got to be a day where you have some stuff going on. It doesn't have to be your busiest day of the week, but there's got to be one day where you have some stuff going on, and at the beginning of the day, you get out your to-do list and you get out your calendar, and one by one, we begin to pray and say, God, I give you this task. God, I give you this event. God, I give you this meeting. If you don't want me to do any of that stuff today, I am willing to cancel any of it or let go of any of it. I give it all over to you, and then we get to the place where we've given it all to God, and then we say, what do you want me to do next? Tell me the next thing you want me to do. Lead me into the next thing. And after you do it, and say, what do you want next? One by one, all through the day, only move as God leads. And then at the end of the day, you get out your journal and you write down, what did God do today? How did it work today? You know, try it out one time this week. Let's pray. God, we've talked before about how... Um, We tend to think that, uh, that efficiency is the way we prove ourselves, but you tell us that if we trust you with time, we'll have patience. We'll be at a place of rest. We want to make our lives work the way we think they're supposed to very quick. Fast food. And you, on the other hand, are a gourmet chef who's cooking up something special in our lives, but we have to wait patiently. We name that you are the one who created time and you are the one who holds time. All time is in your hands. You are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are the timeless one, the eternal one. All time is in your hands and time is nothing for you. And you call us as your children to draw close to you. And God, we gotta repent today because there have been times where we haven't engaged you the way that you've called us to, because we've been scared of time. We've been held slave and bond, we've been held slavery, slaves and we've been held bondage by time. And we're asking that one of the things you would do in us as a church and in each of us individually is that you would break off the lie in our mind that our job is to squeeze the time, to be more efficient, to get more done so that we can prove to you that we're doing something okay when in fact you've already proved everything on the cross. And you just invite us to come follow you and get in the rhythm that works, to find that pace that works with us and with you. Help us to find that, God. We don't. There's no good reason for us to be out of rhythm. There's no good reason for our lives to get crazy stressed anymore. You've already died on the cross. You've already forgiven our sins. You've already told us that you'll provide all we need. Help us to rest in you and to trust in you in the name of Jesus. Amen.